Is that me? That's hey, okay. All right, good. I did click the button. I was like, crap, did I turn it off? And then I just said the C word from the pulpit. I apologize if that was offensive to anyone. I'm working on my potty mouth. Look, I'm, I'm going to share some testimony here with you this morning because uh, I'm, I'm a bit uh, overwhelmed in the best way possible. So this morning I woke up with, um, I'm sure you guys have experienced this before, one of those migraines where it's just hard to think. Have y'all ever had one of those before? Um, and so a lot of conversation with God about um, today. You know, uh, I was telling the band this morning that the, my time on Sunday mornings is... Um, it's a big part of my process in terms of hearing from the Lord and making sure I've got everything straight and squared away and ready for, for you guys. Um, and so that was a bit stressful, and so I'm having a conversation with God about that. And so my brain started feeling better, was able to get through the material. And then uh, when I got done, I opened up one of my devotionals, and it was from uh, A.W. Tozer, and he references 2 Corinthians 3, 5, where it says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. It's like, okay. All right, God, I hear you. Um, and then this morning, <laughs> Leah kicks us off with a prayer about the great commandments, the great, uh, and, and that's in our, in our scripture today. And today we're going to talk about the, the message of John the Baptist, and it's all about caring for other people. And so you guys are going to see as we walk through this message today that God was absolutely in control, still is, and, and that makes me so excited. Uh, I'm excited to share with you guys um, what God's got for us today. So last week we covered um, the first nine verses of Luke chapter 3, and today we're going to cover verses 10 through 20. Last week we learned about the ministry of John the Baptist, and specifically we looked at um, the cultural context behind what's going on and why John is preaching the things that he's preaching. And, and I shared, shared with you last week that everything that we were going to learn last week was preparing us to answer or to hear John's answer to a question that was asked in verse 10, uh, where the crowd says, what then should we do? In light of all of the things that you're saying, John, what should we do? So in those first nine verses, Luke gives us a lot of historical context for what's happening. Um, and Luke uses these historical moments as figures, as reliable witnesses to the story of Jesus, which begins with John the Baptist in preparing the way for him. And so, again, Luke is putting things in their cultural context so that anybody that's hearing this goes, oh, John was preaching at this time when these people were in charge. Yes, I remember that. And so it kind of frames the whole thing. Um, he also shows us that John is preparing the way for Jesus by calling for repentance. It's repentance um, serves to purify our hearts uh, and, and John's goal is to purify the hearts of those that are listening, to let God do that work in them. And as we looked back on the cultural concept of baptism and the idea that, that we can be cleansed by water, we remembered that that was a, a spiritual thing that happened, but it was also a physical thing that happened. But repentance for us, what we discovered is that it's a, a desire, it's a change in our desires. It's a heart issue. It's God doing something in our lives that says this thing that I used to do before, I don't want to do any before because of who God says that I am and the things that he's done for me and in my life. And it's only through true repentance that anybody can experience salvation. And that, that's such a key understanding. You can't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus without realizing that the things that you have been doing, those sinful things, is what has kept you from God the whole time. That repentance is the marker of understanding of the things that I've done in the past is what separated me from God. But I don't want to do those things anymore because I want to be connected with God. And John calls that repentance um, producing recognizable fruit, right? We, we talk about fruit a lot. We're going to talk about that some more today. Um, 
But what John's trying to point out, what God wants us to understand, is that it's going to be obvious to the people around us when God is working in our lives. That's the recognizable fruit that, that John is referring to. God is speaking through John that his people still don't understand what it means to live in relationship with God. They've become so focused on obedience to law, which, by the way, was meant to port them, point them towards their need for God. But they've become so focused on it that they completely missed God in the process. This week I had lunch with uh, Glenn and Carrie and Dario and some others, and Glenn handed me a document, some material that he's been working on for um, some writing that he's doing for college students. And, and in this material, this first step in this, what he's calling a discipleship expedition, is synchronization. And everybody knows what synchronization is, even if you, if you don't, it may not pop in your mind immediately, but think about every action movie you've ever seen like every Mission Impossible movie that's ever been put out there's a moment in the movie where they're about to do this thing and everybody gets their watches out and they're like all right ready one two three go okay it that's synchronization it's getting everybody at the same point right this whole idea that Glenn was trying to communicate in this and what we're going to see John communicating today is that there is a moment where we need to get our hearts in sync with God's hearts Glenn shared a quote from Augustine that really communicates what John is trying to communicate in this passage. Augustine said, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. If we really love God, if we are in love with him, our hearts are in sync with his. And our every action will be the ones that God wants for us. This is the beauty of living in an abiding relationship. We're no longer stuck with the stress of, oh my gosh, does God want me to do this thing? There are going to still be those moments in our lives where these big things are happening. We're like, God, I got to know for sure. But in the little stuff, the everyday life, we don't have to wonder, am I doing what God wants us to do if our hearts are in sync with his? Because the desires of our hearts are the desires of his hearts because we're synced up. In our text today, we're going to see John giving what seems to be just merely some practical advice. But as we look closer, we're going to see that John is addressing a heart issue. And, and he's, he's not just addressing the symptoms, he's addressing the heart. This was an issue for God's people prior to Jesus. During Jesus' lifetime, immediately afterward, and still today, the problem is in our hearts. People are out of sync with God because they don't know him. And they don't know him because they've made everything else in their lives more important than God himself. And so our goal for today is to hear God's message that he delivers through John the Baptist. We need to address in our heart the issues so that God can remove that sin in our lives and bring us back to himself. God's desire is for us to know him, for our hearts to be synchronized with his. So let's look at our passage today and then we're going to dive into what God has for us. So read with me in Luke chapter 3. We're going to go verses 10 through 20. We'll read the whole thing and then we'll come back and break it down. What then should we do? The crowds were asking him. And he replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he told them, don't collect any more than what you've been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? And he said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectantly and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, 
but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Then along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But when John rebukes Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to everything else, and he locked up John in prison. What then should we do? Man, that's a great question to start with. When we hit that moment of repentance, and it, it changes something in our hearts, the next thing we say is, what do we do now? That's what's happening with the crowd. And this question is incredibly revealing because it's showing that what John is preaching is being understood. And hint, hint, this is the kind of response that every preacher wants to get, right? When we stand before you and we're preaching God's word, we want that moment, that aha, where it connects with your hearts. Not only are they hearing John's message, but they're also internalizing it and wanting to know, okay, now that I have this truth in me, how do I apply this to my life. We see a similar response when Peter, when Peter preaches at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 38, where Peter finishes his sermon. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Those things that John is saying, he's prophesying, this is what's going to happen when the one that's greater than I comes. That's what Peter's preaching about. You can tell when someone's repented because it affects their hearts, which is revealed through their actions, right? Once it's internalized in us, it begins to work out through us. I'm reminded of a message that Glenn gave years ago where he was trying to explain this with a water hose. And he had muddy water in the water hose. If you weren't there for this, you're welcome for sharing this story. And in, in, in our old church, our baptistry had a water hose hookup in it because we were old school like that. And so he had this water hose full of muddy water. And he talked about how whenever the Holy Spirit comes in us, when we begin the salvation process, that fresh water coming out of that tap is the Holy Spirit. And he begins to push all the filth out of our, our lives. And he, he ended the message by saying, we're all just a bunch of dirty hose but the Holy Spirit's going to clean us out, okay? Point number one for today, glad I have your attention, is repentance makes a dramatic change in your heart and in your everyday life. When the crowds asked John, what should we do? He responded with examples, not commandments. This is an important distinction to understand. The key to repentance is not found in following these three recommendations that John makes. The heart behind these actions is the revelation of repentance. These are the examples that he gives. He says, provide for those that are in need. Don't overtax. Don't use your position of power to take advantage of other people. These three actions are examples of the results of a repentant heart, not the keys to salvation. Does everybody understand that? John is not saying, if you'll just do these three things, because I don't know about you, but I'm not a tax collector, and so that has no application to my life in that regards, right? Keep in mind that John is not preaching towards salvation. What he's preaching will lead to salvation, 
But salvation as you and I know it did not yet exist because Jesus had not yet died on the cross for us. John is preaching for repentance. He is addressing the ethical and the moral behavior of those that are listening to this message. And this was not a new message for them. I can guarantee you there was nobody in that crowd that was listening and thought to themselves, well, I guess that is a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't overtax people. They knew when they were overtaxing that they shouldn't do it, right? The soldiers knew when they were stealing money from people that they shouldn't do it. When you see someone who is starving, you know that you should give them food. This is not a new message. The problem is, is that we have become so accustomed to sin that we can turn a blind eye that those are in need. Or we can turn a blind eye to our own sin when we're taking advantage of someone else because there's not been repentance in our lives. God had been sending prophets for generations calling out the ethical and the moral behaviors of the people. And John's goal is to remind the people of the law that God had already given them to direct their lives. John is saying, this is the line that God has set. This is the threshold and you are not meeting it. He's calling them out for ignoring God's commands as they went about their daily lives. And in doing so, John is addressing a deep question and one that I bet many of us have asked ourselves before. He's making them ask, how do I live in a way that shows other people the character of God? Or to make it more personal, in the last week, how have my words, my attitude, my actions communicated the heart of God? I'll give you an example from my my own life. Um, I went to pick up our car from the body shop, the one that was in a wreck several weeks ago. They called, said it was done, and I went and to pick it up, and um, I went out there to, to kind of inspect it, and the brand new door that they just replaced has got a big old scratch in it, and uh, I opened up the doors to make sure they opened and closed because both the front and the rear door were, were replaced, um, and when I opened up the back door, I noticed that there was white overspray, like spray paint droplets all over the inside of the car, on the interior, on the inside of the door, on top of the car. Our car is not white, it's silver. So apparently when they were spraying another car, the paint off of it sprayed into ours. Um, Needless to say, I was not happy. Like I wanted to get real stupid with these people. You You follow me? Like this is the newest, nicest car that we've ever bought. Now I fully am aware that it is just a car, right? Cars are replaceable. That is settled in my spirit. But I was still not happy, right? And I'm sharing this story with you because in the midst of that, in that moment, there was some real serious conversation happening between me and God. Because I knew that how I handle this situation is going to affect how they view God. Because the lady that's over this particular project with the car knows my brother, went to school with him. She knows me. She knows my family. And the way I handle this is going to have an impact on how she views my family, but more importantly, how she views God. So I profess to be a follower of Jesus. I tell people that I'm a pastor, but my words, my actions, and my attitude have to reveal if I really am a follower of God or if I'm just pretending to be a follower of God. Because it's in those moments where that tension occurs that we reveal the truth of who we are. That's what John's addressing with the people, right? Is, Is your heart, is the things that are coming out of you, are these representative of God or are they representative of the sin in your life? I was not stupid with them, by the way. I was very graceful, but said, hey, here's some issues. I need you to take a look at this. Call me when you're done. Just to put a little cap on that so you're not wondering, did he really get stupid? 
Here's, here's what I want us to be with this. If our hearts are not synced up with God, we're going to live in a way that God doesn't want us to. Let me say it in the positive. If our hearts are synced up with God, we are going to live in a way that reflects his character to the world around us. To go back to the point that Augustine was making. Love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. The way we relate to God is going to make an impact on how we relate to other people. It's that simple. Point number two. John is pushing people to be sensitive to God, which can be seen by the fruit of caring for others. We've heard Jesus teach on this, and it's familiar to us now. But keep in mind, this would have been a revolutionary thought for those who were listening to John. Their religious practices at the time did not necessarily equate to their daily lives. And you may, at first hearing, find that to be shocking. But before you cast judgment, ask yourself, Did your faith tradition, as you have grown up, always expect you to live in the same way? I'm not talking about the southern, like, bless your heart, I'll pray for you kind of nonsense. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about true sacrificial caring that makes an actual impact on someone's lives. Has that been the expectation as you grew up in religion? Or has the expectation been to say, I'll pray for you? Which is code for, I'll not think about this anymore. Right? That's what, really what we're saying a lot of times. In the American church, we hide behind our facades. We pretend that everything in our lives is normal and okay. I was listening to Caleb at um, uh, Amy's request on the way to Leap Test this week. And I heard a song I had not heard before by Matthew West called Truth Be Told. I don't know if y'all have heard this or not. But the, the, some of the lyrics are, but truth be told, the truth is rarely told. Now I say I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine. But I'm not. I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say, it's under control. But it's not. Church, if we would actually let the truth be told, let people in, let them see the real us, it would pave the way for them to learn how Jesus loves them. It will pave the way for us to learn how to love them like Jesus. If we would let people be honest and love them regardless of their brokenness, regardless of where they find themselves, they would experience the kind of love that God has for them. I had a friend a few weeks ago that was going through some really, really difficult things and his wife called me and said, hey, all this stuff is going on. I I need you to talk to this guy. Like, you know him better than anybody. And so I tried to reach out to him and he responded with anger and accusation and just really, really mean words. And I continued to respond with, dude, it's okay. I love you. And he just kept on, kept on going. And finally, I, I, we were texting and I said, look, I love you no matter what. And there is literally nothing you can do or say that will change that. And it just went quiet. He kind of marinated, marinated in that for a couple of weeks. And now we're talking again. He's texting and we're, we're visiting. I could have taken those accusations. He was putting all that on me. Well, what he's really doing is just redirecting his pain on somebody else. He doesn't want to deal with the issues in his life, and so he's projecting that stuff out to me. And I don't know about you, but in the past, my response to that has been to attack back because you're saying things about me that are not true, and I ought to be able to justify myself, right? But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus receives all that and returns with love. And I'm not telling you that to say Will's the hero in this story. Jesus is the hero in this story. Loving people where they are and how they are is exactly what Jesus 
did. It's the kind of care that only comes when our hearts are synced up with God's. Jesus reminds the Sadducees of what it means to love God. Keep in mind, in this moment, in this story that I'm about to share, they are questioning him and trying to trap him in legal matters. In fact, they're using this passage about loving God in a way that doesn't communicate love of God, which is ironic. But look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 through 40 with me. We read this this morning. This was in the prayer. The Sadducees ask him, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Right? We're familiar with this. We read this all the time. In verse 37 through 40, he said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Churches, John is preaching this message about repentance. He is paving the way for people to be able to understand that the primary focus of a follower of God is not on keeping the law. Let me say that again. The primary focus of a follower of God is not obeying the law. It's not about right living. The primary focus of a follower of God is loving God and loving others the way that God loves them. That's the primary focus. Jesus says it right there. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. If we do those two things, if we start with loving God and we also love our neighbor, all of the law is fulfilled. But if we put our focus on the law, we're going to fall in the same trap that the people that John is preaching to fell into. Our focus no longer is on God. The focus is on ourselves. The focus is on trying to keep the law or trying to ignore the law so we can do the things we want to do. When this message and the hope that it carries settled in the hearts of people, when they realized how different it was from what they had been taught, they were amazed by it. Look at verse 15 in Luke chapter 3 again. It says, Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. Because of how revelatory this was, the people began to wonder if John was the Messiah. Think about this for a minute. On the one hand, it is devastatingly, uh, a devastating accusation to the church at that time that actually loving God and loving people was considered revolutionary. The power and the authority of which John was preaching caused the people to realize that he was different. John was producing a recognizable fruit. This caused them to wonder if maybe he's the promised Messiah. I'm sure that word was moving around after Jesus had been prophesied over in the temple. Right? Remember that happened when he was a baby. And now this is about 30 years later. And this kid's been growing up in Bethlehem, very far from Jerusalem. But I'm sure word gets around because word gets around today, right? Even without social media, word gets around. That there's this Messiah coming. Maybe we don't know who he is, but there were some prophecies that happened in the temple and a lot of people heard about it and now the rumors are coming around and then the people come out to hear this prophet preach, this guy who's dressed in camel's clothing and eating wild locusts and honey. This dude's weird. You gotta go check him out. And then they go and they do and they hear this message and they're like, man, maybe this is him. Maybe this is it. But John immediately addresses their question and I wanna point this out that He's like Jesus in this way. If you'll notice, it says in verse 15, they were waiting expectantly and all of them were questioning, where at? In their hearts. It doesn't say they asked it out loud. They're thinking in their hearts, is this the one? 
And John, in verse 16, answered them all, I baptize you with water. See, John could see what was happening because the Holy Spirit was working through him. God was in him. So point number three is that John is not the Messiah, and he proves it by pointing to why Jesus is greater than he is. In verse 16 again, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I want you to see this is the first time in this whole chapter that John mentions Jesus' name. This message that God was speaking through John was doing what the law had always been designed to do. It was pointing to the fact that people need God. John is preaching so that people will understand their need for a Messiah. As John did so, the people were looking forward to the Messiah, which led them to ask John, hey, are you him? Are you the guy we've been hearing about? And John says he's not, and he draws a comparison between his ministry and that of Jesus. Church, John can only preach for repentance, but Jesus is going to be the one that brings salvation. He points forward to what is going to happen after the Lamb is slain and the Holy Spirit comes. We're going to talk about that more as we move forward in this book. But John makes a point to show that Jesus' ministry is not going to be what they think it's going to be like. We talked about this a couple of months ago. But Jesus is going to bring division. Not because he's divisive, but because people are going to uh, either going to humble themselves and be drawn to Jesus. Or they're going to stand in pride against him. This is what John's talking about in the next two verses, in verses 17 and 18. He said, his winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. I don't know if you're familiar with that process, what he's describing. If you're not, I'm going to explain it to you. When you, when you harvest wheat, they use a sickle. And they cut it off at the ground. A sickle is that long grim reaper tool. That's a sickle, okay? Do like this. So the wheat is then on the stalk. It's got a husk around it, which they call chaff. And then it's got the seed, the berry, the wheat berry inside of it. The wheat berry is what you use to make flour. So they cut it. They bring it to the threshing floor. And they beat the stalks, right? And the, the wheat berry with the chaff falls off. And it's on the floor. And then they take the winnowing shovel. And they throw it in the air. And the, win <clears throat> the wind separates the chaff from the wheat berry the chaff blows away and the wheat berry falls back down into the pit this is what John is describing and when the process is done they take the wheat berry and they make wheat or they, they make flour out of it and the chaff they burn to get rid of it this is what John's describing as Jesus lives these two commandments loving God and loving people he's going to separate the true followers of God from those that are pretending to be followers of God He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. I slipped up when I was trying to, when I was typing all this out and I wrote in the wrong reference, but God was in that too to help me make a point. I meant to type into my notes math, or Luke 3, 17 through 18, but because I'm talking about John at the same time, I wrote, typed in John 3, 17 through 18, but read this with me. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only Son of God. 
God had me do that because he wanted me to reiterate, reiterate that those who are being separated are not being done so because of Jesus' condemnation. The separation is happening because some are willingly choosing to follow Jesus while others are equally choosing to walk away from him. Jesus' ministry is polarizing because it stands in opposition to the world. And it's John is preaching this message of repentance as Jesus shows up and begins to love in a way that the world is not accustomed to. Very quickly, people fall in one of two camps. They're either for him or they're against him. But this opposition brings so much hope. The world wants to focus on behavior modification so that maybe God will accept them. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, the thing that John is preparing them for is that we are accepted and loved by God even while we're living in sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, Paul says, but God proves his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is bringing forgiveness to everyone, and, but not everyone wants all people to be forgiven. That's the division that's beginning to happen. This is where the division comes from. Not everyone is interested in this hope because it goes against what they want to believe. Luke gives us a prime example of this division in the final two verses of this section, in verses 19 and 20. He says, but when John, excuse me, rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things they had done, Herod added this to everything else, and he locked up John in prison. As John is preaching this message of repentance, of, of repentance, apparently it doesn't tell us exactly, but apparently called out Herod's sin for taking his brother's wife. And in response, Herod has him put in jail. And if you don't know the rest of the story, we'll cover it later. But if you do know the rest of that story, well, you know what eventually happens. Suffice it to say that Herod's sin eventually leads to John's death and ultimately Jesus' death as well. Herod's desire to live in sin outweighed his desire for anything else. And this is the case for a lot of people today. The message that John the Baptist is preaching is to repent, to turn from sin, and to experience the relationship that God created us to have. To wrap all this up, I want us to remember, we are not Jesus, right? Like John, our role is to prepare people for meeting Jesus. If we, if the church will repent of our sins, live our lives sensitive to God's activity, and walk in obedience, the world is going to see the character of Jesus through our lives. They are going to recognize the fruit of the Spirit as it works its way through us. This is what the world needs, even if they don't see it yet. This is what we need. Our lives are meant to point people to Jesus. That's what our role is. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a teacher, a small business owner, a student, a manager, an artist, a welder, a construction worker, a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter. Your goal in life, your purpose is to point people to Jesus. Or to say it as we've been saying it this whole study, to know Jesus and to make him known. That's your purpose. To love God to love people, to know Him and to make Him known. If we love people the way that God does, it's going to be noticed by the world. If we may, and, and it may take time for that to happen, but a moment will occur when you respond in a way that reveals just how different you are 
from the rest of culture. And when that happens, you're going to have an opportunity to share why you responded the way that you did. Because when that revolutionary action takes place in your life, when you respond with love, when someone expected something else, there's going to come a moment where they're going to say, why are you the way that you are? Why did you respond that way? And that's the Holy Spirit just opening up that door for you to say, because of Jesus. Because when I mess up, God still loves me. And when you mess up, God still loves you too. This message of John was to prepare people's hearts to receive Jesus. Your message has the same purpose. And the question we all need to ask ourselves today is what message are we preaching to the world? When you go to pick up your car and it's not finished and it's messed up worse than it was when it started, what message will you preach? Will you preach one of love and of grace or something else? We have to live our lives in a way that proclaims the truth about Jesus and his love for all people. And that happens as we love Jesus and as we love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm, I'm so thankful for your love for me. And my, your love for the, the people of this world. Father, I ask that this week that you would give each of us an opportunity to do two things. Number one, to let you examine our hearts and reveal the sin that we need to repent of. And secondly, Father, I ask that you would give us an opportunity to bear recognizable fruit in front of the people in our lives. And that you would prompt those people to ask us why we are the way that we are. Father, I ask that you would work in us in such a way that we would live loudly in front of the people around us, not in a way that's obnoxious, but a way that is recognizable, in a way that's loving, in a way that speaks the truth of who you are. God, we know that that's a work that can only be accomplished through the power of your Holy Spirit, not on our own. Jesus, we love you. We want people to know you so they can understand how much you love them too. So, Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.